right, guys. Thanks for listening to this series on connection. I am back. Sorry, it has taken me so long uh, to get to this next part. Ironic on barriers, right? Um, I have been under the weather, as you can probably hear in my voice. And I apologize. It sounds a little funky and congested uh, today. Um, And so there's just been a lot of different things going on that's kept me from doing this. Uh, But here we are. So let's get started. Um, If you haven't listened to part one, pause this one and go back and listen to part one on connections and then just jump back in here. Um, For those of you guys who have listened to it and it's just been a while, um, here's a little recap of what we talked about. Um, We talked about the different ways that we connect through intentional moments of eye contact, touch, being present, and playfulness, and the many, many physiological, emotional, mental, and spiritual benefits of connection. Uh, We looked at uh, some places in the word that highlight moments of connection or disconnection and uh, the natural consequences of those moments. And lastly, I shared some responses from social media of how folks uh, felt most connected and those moments um, being a byproduct of feeling safe and in vulnerability um, and that reinforced more reciprocal vulnerability. Um, So I think we can all agree uh, that not only is connection a fundamental need that we all have, um, but there are also additional incentives to pursue it, right? So like food, not only do we need it to survive, but selecting the right foods can also produce energy, boost your immune system, keep your body uh, and organs functioning healthy. Um, And there are also right or healthy ways of connecting, um, just like there are unhealthy ways of connecting um, and unhealthy foods. Um, And unfortunately, some of the barriers that we're going to be uh, talking about today were birthed from forms of wounds created from other people's poor choices in connection. So jumping right in, you know, a good word study, barriers. What are barriers? Uh, So a barrier uh, means anything meant to obstruct an entrance. Um, So an obstructing gatekeeper, basically. Uh, Other definitions include a fence or other obstacle that prevents movement, access, communication, or progress. And so when I think about this definition, I think of the gatekeeper in the movie, um, the Thor movies, you know, the guardian of Asgard, you know, who forbid the entrance or departure of certain people, you know, and he forcefully prevented the access or progress of something or someone. You know, I also think of like a clog, either in plumbing or the cardiovascular system that keeps things from flowing as it was intended. And there was one definition that I found really interesting, um, and it was like the noun uh, barrier island. Um, And so This is a long, narrow island lying parallel or close to the mainland, and its intended purpose is to protect the mainland uh, from erosion and storms. And so immediately I I was thinking of the many ways that we self-protect. You know, we have self-protecting barriers that we put in place in our lives because of previous storms, right? Previous traumatic uh, or wounding experiences and we place these these barriers, you know, with the hopes that we will no longer experience, you know, further erosion or storms. Um, <clears throat> and with that said, I do want to take a moment, um, and I will be reiterating this throughout. But there are some barriers that 
that were shared uh, or that we have with regards to connection that do come from places of trauma. Um, and a quick note here, like I, and I'll talk about this in part three, but I highly recommend um, as you feel ready and able seeking professional professional help um, and walking alongside of uh, professionals and community um, in this area. Um, and so while we talk about barriers in general, um, not just in, in deep places of wounding, um, it's not only important to identify what the barrier is, but to understand how it got there and the purpose that it's trying to serve. Um, because so often, you know, we hear barrier and we immediately assign a, a negative connotation to it. And we can dismiss it quickly and just say, well, you know, there's a barrier, we'll remove it without addressing the fundamental need or goal that that bar barrier um, was serving. Because if you think about it, barriers are rarely um, there just because, you know, especially when we're born with a need to connect, you know, we're not born with a need to withdraw or self-protect. We are born with a need to receive, to be loved, to be known. And unfortunately, somewhere along, you know, our journey, um, we have barriers that are placed for various reasons. Um, and we'll go more into that into part three. Um, but I wanted to give uh, a list of barriers that, you know, when I put this question out there on social media, you guys were just so awesome. And again, I just want to thank you guys for taking the time to answer and being so vulnerable and transparent with these answers. And so I want to share some of these um barriers that y'all discussed. Uh, <clears throat> so some folks put, you know, uh, a barrier is a, a person's self-image. So not seeing themselves as God sees them. So that prevents them from connecting to others. Um, you know, fear, fear is a barrier. Some people put, you know, fear, just period, uh, <clears throat> or fear of judgment, fear of vulnerability, fear of being exposed too much or being disappointed, um, hurt, rejected, pain, other people put um, a lack of willingness to spend time in relationships, lack of interest or desire to connect, lack of time, um, not prioritizing a relationship, feeling inconvenienced, busy, fatigued, uh, reputation. I thought that was an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> somebody put social media, but I wanted to add to this specifically either the distraction of social media or the complacency and false sense of connection that social media produces. And I wanted to give a little side note spiel here. Um, I don't know if you guys knew that engaging in social media and your phone for that matter actually triggers a dopamine high, very similar to using drugs or achieving a goal. And it produces this neurological reward response. So even just from hearing the notification on your phone, um, can produce this response. And guys, the marketing department of technology and social media aren't a bunch of dummies. Like they know what it produces and they know how to draw folks in and keep them addicted uh, to these things. And studies have actually shown a correlation in neurological responses between time spent on phones and social media to neurological responses when engaged in addictions. Okay. Um, Tell a teenager you drop their phone accidentally in the toilet and you can watch addiction withdrawal symptoms slowly emerge before your eyes, right? You know, um, but anyway, you know, not only does social media create a dopamine high, there are also studies that show that increases in social media increases rates of depression and loneliness. And if that's not a huge contradiction, I don't know what is. So 
social media draws you in, keeps you coming for more because of the reward response it produces, but because it cannot give you connection with substance instead of placebo connection. Um, it cannot produce touch, presence, you know, eye contact or playfulness fully, you know, it leaves you empty. So this is just something to keep in mind when you engage in social media. This is not supposed to be a replacement of connection. Um, and that's why it's a barrier. So continuing on with the list, um, woundedness, um, insecurities were other barriers people put, you know, previous trauma, uh, lack of confidence, longing for connection, but feeling unseen, um, lack of trust, uh, prejudice, lack of empathy and understanding people giving advice when it's not asked for it, avoidance or assumption, uh, lack of forgiveness to bridge the gaps necessary to maintain relationships, selfishness, pride, lack of common ground, disagreements, lots of barriers. And when I kept looking at these barriers, I was wondering, okay, how do I, how do I group them? How do I talk about these barriers? And there's so many different ways you can group them, but I came up with three general categories I wanted to talk about with you guys today. The first category is barriers that are birthed in the form of ill perspectives or false perspectives of ourselves, others, and God. Um, Second category is barriers that um, are produced because of lack of assigned value. So just not placing value in connection. Um, and then the last barrier is, um, or the last category are barriers that serve a purpose of safety. Again, keeping in mind that not all barriers are bad. Not all fences are bad. Um, so anyhow, so jumping right in first category of perspectives of ourselves, others, and God in the form of barriers. Um, you know, not having the proper perspective of yourself or others or God um, creates a barrier that obstructs truth, you know, love, connection, you know, from flowing. And these ill perspectives are often, again, shaped from different experiences that we have. And so one way of looking at this is through what um, Albert Ellis, a famous psychotherapist who founded a relational emotional behavioral therapy, REBT, called the ABC model. And this model illustrates how our emotional and behavioral responses are shaped um, by experiences and beliefs we developed about that experience. And so, you know, the, he says that A, something happens, B, you have a belief about that situation, and C, you have an emotional reaction to that belief. So to give an example, um, let's say that, you know, A, uh, your employer falsely accuses you of taking money from her purse and threatens to fire you. B, the belief that would follow from that situation. An example of that would be that you believe that she has no right to accuse you. She's a jerk. How dare she? And then see the emotional reaction you develop is anger towards this person, maybe the industry as a whole, anything else. And so experiences give opportunities to bring to the surface underlying beliefs. And the fruit of those beliefs are manifested in emotions and our behaviors. And so we have undergone a relational experiences, whether neglect, abuse, prejudice, or good ones that revealed or produced B, a belief about ourselves, others, or God that either produced a barrier 
that keep us from experiencing connection or that reinforces us to pursue connection. And then that manifests in the form of C, feelings of disconnection, isolation, passivity, or belonging, or feeling loved or known. Does that make sense? Um, so how, how would you know? How would you know that you have a misaligned perspective of yourself or others or God? You know, you compare your perspective to God's worth, God's word, sorry. You know, God's word is its truth. And so I'm going to give you guys a couple of verses, actually a lot of verses here. Um, feel free to pause this, go back, write it down, uh, revisit this. Um, but there are just so many different verses. Um, and I want to give you guys reference so that you don't just take my word for it. Um, but you go back and you dig into the word. Um, so the word says that you're accepted. John 1.12 says that you're God's child. John 15, 15 says you're Christ's friend. Romans 5.1 says that you have been justified. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says you are a member of Christ's body and family. Ephesians 1.5 says that you have been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 2.18 says you have access to God through Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.14 says that you have been redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 2.10 says that you have been made complete in Christ. The word is full of so many identity proclamations. And if you just, you know, Google, you know, verses that say who I am in Christ, you're going to find a ton. And I believe that's because God wanted us to make sure that we knew without a shadow of a doubt, you know, who we are and that we are loved and who we are in him, most importantly, you know, and then there's, there's other things that God's word says about you, that you cannot be separated from God's love, that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, that grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, that you're significant, that you're the salt and light of the earth, a branch from the true vine. Yet you are chosen, appointed to bear fruit. You're God's temple. You're a minister of reconciliation for God, a co-laborer with Christ, God's workmanship and masterpiece, and so on. So not only does God see you as worthy of love, freedom, and so much more, he sees others this way. <clears throat> you know, so who's God? You know, what does the word say about, about God? There's so much there, right? It says that he's for you, not against you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he's madly in love with you, um, that he's intimate and involved, kind and compassionate, accepting and filled with joy and love, warm and affectionate, patient and slow to anger, loving, gentle, trustworthy, and wants to give you a full life, full of grace and mercy, forgiving, committed to your growth, powerful, and so much more. So after looking at all of these truths of who God says that you are, who God says that he is, in the words of Mission Impossible, your mission, if you choose to accept it, um, is to write down the ways that you see yourself, the way that you see others and God, you know, and then write what barriers or experiences or beliefs keep you from seeing yourself or others or God through these lenses of truth. You know, the word that we just read. 
And then in the quiet place, ask God to show you when those barriers or false beliefs were birthed, what experiences led you to those beliefs, you know, that, that keep you from receiving connection or connecting with others in God. And I'm going to insert a quick note here, excuse me. I am all about exploring and digging into whatever next new or more God has for you. Um, but I also don't want to leave you undone in an unnecessary way. So only explore as the Lord prompts you um, that it's time or what you know I call ripe fruit. There's nothing like eating of a fruit or eating of a tree that has unripe fruit because not only does it taste pretty bitter, um, but sometimes it can cause indigestion. And so if the Lord is prompting you that it's time to address any of the barriers um, that you would um, you would find as you hear this, this podcast, by all means, go for it. And don't do it alone. Partner, again, with trusted, mature believers who can pray alongside of you um, to experience freedom and connection. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out there as you're processing these things and writing things down and exploring with God. Um, what's going on so we can get a new perspective to follow hard after him and others. And so this is an ironic part too, because many of the barriers have to do with fear of vulnerability um, because we've been hurt by other people. Yet healing and connection happen in community when we choose to overcome those barriers and become vulnerable. And I just find that kind of ironic, you know, that you have vulnerability being a contagious joy agent while at the same time, sometimes a barrier. Um, I often see, you know, pictures as I talk or I think about things and, and I picture vulnerability as a bridge to connection and community. And sometimes bridges can be scary. Sometimes people walking on bridges think, you know, what if this bridge falls? What if it collapses? It leads to my death. What if this bridge isn't safe or supports my weight? You know, and there's so many fears and what ifs. And yes, I understand that there isn't guaranteed safety with other humans who have been given equal free will and can sometimes make pretty stupid decisions with their free will. And I am sorry, um, but that is the cost of community. And also understanding what, you know, who is safe to share what pieces of your heart with, you know, um, but I've come to learn that healing happens in community and even healing from previous community wounds um, happen in community. And as I was reading through different responses, people said um, made them feel most connected and closest to someone and the barriers that kept them from connecting I realized that the very thing that many people crave is the very thing people are afraid of. And that just kind of blew my mind. And so on one hand, we recognize that vulnerability, again, is this birthplace of joy in connection, yet we're afraid of going there. Um, I recommend you guys reading uh, anything Danny Silk, um, Keep Your Love On is a great book, and listening to Brene Brown. Um, again, phenomenal people that talk about community and connections and how to do that well and knowing also when boundaries are appropriate. Um, but I will say this, the Bible highlights weakness and vulnerability in such a beautiful light. You know, you have uh, Paul, a man who writes countless vulnerable letters, sharing his heart, struggles and desires openly. You have, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 
where God tells Paul that his power is made perfect, not in Paul's strength, but in Paul's weakness. Uh, The word talks about confessing our sins to one another, that we may be healed. Forgiveness comes from God, but healing happens in community. And I don't know about you guys, but confessing all the dumb stuff I've done is a pretty vulnerable thing to do. Um, So again, vulnerability and healing as a byproduct of this. Galatians 6.2 says, to bear one another's burdens, to fulfill the law of Christ. Again, I don't know about you, but to share my burdens with others means being vulnerable and open about what I'm struggling with and what I need. Um, You know, you have Jesus in Matthew 26, 39 through 42, who in this quiet place in the garden of Gethsemane asked the father, you know, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I, uh, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that is a raw and vulnerable moment, acknowledging the excruciating pain ahead and the path, the broken path to the cross and asking God if there's any other way, you know, and you have John 8, 3 through 5, where a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery was literally taken up um, with her bed sheets and thrown before Jesus. You know, she's exposed in the most vulnerable way. Um, and Jesus sends off her accusers and speaks truth and love. And then you have, you know, one of my favorite passages in Matthew 5 or Matthew 25, 34 through 40, where Jesus is talking about the least of these, you know, and each example illustrates a vulnerable human condition. You have hunger, thirst, nakedness, sickness, imprisonment. None of those show human strength, but it shows weakness and neediness. And Jesus applauds and affirms those that meet those people in those vulnerable conditions. And the list goes on in the many ways that vulnerability, um, though it may be painful and uncomfortable, is affirmed as this beautiful picture and bridge to healing community and courage. Um, I know that was a lot for that first section, first category of barriers. Um, And so now, you know, the second category, you know, barriers produced because of lack of assigned value. Um, Oftentimes you'll have folks who will hear the benefits, will know that you're designed with a need to connect and they still won't do it because they just don't see it as valuable or worth their time. And it always kind of blows my mind how we can spend time, energy, and money to invest in, you know, mutual funds, stocks, you know, random gadgets that are supposed to make our life easier. Um, And, you know, we might reap a reward sometime in the future, but we won't invest in relationships or connections that will actually reap greater benefits for more people than just ourselves. And I realize it's the seat of value that drives desire. It's the seat of priority that drives agenda. You know, oftentimes um, the things we place the greatest value and priorities will be the things that we pursue. You know, this is why, you know, I, you know, I'll be honest and vulnerable here. Um, I'm currently, I'm sure, overweight and should eat healthier and exercise. But in this season, I've chosen to prioritize school and relationships with a small little voice that says, you know, I'll exercise later. Um, And so we have so many hours in a day, right, that we invest those hours in some capacity. You know, even if it's zombied out on our phones, you know, or working or whatever it is that we do. But we do something 
And again, based off of the things that we prioritize and place value on. And I believe this is why Luke's 645 um, talks about what's at the seat of the heart. You know, in Greek um, is gardia, you know, um, the soul or the mind, the fountain of thoughts, emotions, passions, appetites, affections, purpose, endeavors. And out of these passions and desires, you know, flow our words, you know, or the word says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know that words are life. So from our heart flows life, flows purpose, things that we choose to pursue and proclaim. And so again, in this category of barriers, your mission, if you choose to accept it, um, would be to ask God, you know, what sits on your value seat? Or better yet, if you want to be super honest with yourself, um, ask God to show you on a scale from zero to 10, zero being no value at all, it's worthless, and 10 being of the utmost value. Ask God to show you how much value you place on connecting with him and others. And ask God what is keeping you from saying 10 on either of those categories. Um, you know, what would it look like for you to give up or, or what would it look like for you to live out or what would you have to give up um, to have that 10 life? You know, I, I think of the young rich ruler <clears throat> whose barrier was his own possessions and money. And he couldn't give those up because he valued that more than following Jesus. And so again, the things that lay on the seat of value are the things that end up driving us. Um, and so now I'm going to take a little note here. Hear what I'm saying. With regards to being in community, I am not saying that you need to be surrounded by people 24-7. You know, my introverts out there, take a deep breath. I see you. I'm married to one. There are moments when we need time to ourselves, okay? We need to decompress. We need to recharge, um, let alone, you know, go to the bathroom, you know, and all the moms said, amen. Uh, you know, and healthy boundaries also to take care of our different roles, you know, some of us have student responsibilities, spousal duties, parenting responsibilities, etc. And so I'm not talking about this, you know, insane increased demand in quantity. I'm talking about quality. And to some, God might be talking to you about decreasing your quantity of busyness and increasing your quantity of intentional moments of connection. Sure. But regardless of that quantity, the thing that I want us to examine here with these barriers um, is the way that barriers produce qualitative degradation in connection. Okay, we want to talk about the quality of connection. So moving on, the third category. This one is a little uh, raw place right now in my heart. So barriers that serve a purpose of safety. I have unfortunately, <clears throat> as many of you have experienced way too many times that um, I've had to place uh, barriers for the sake of safety. Um, you know, and, and I'm not about to give you guys a message on connection where I say that all fences are bad. Um, because again, like I said before, we need to evaluate the purpose that, you know, fences, barriers, whatever you want to call it, that they serve. 
And uh, again, I'm not going to be saying that we need to be connecting with all people at all times, being fully vulnerable with and exposing every single part of ourselves with every person that we ever meet. I'm not saying that um, because honestly, that would be foolish and unwise. And again, I recommend you read Danny Silk's Keep Your Love On um, and and listen to Brene Brown. Um, And there are times that the Bible even talks about, you know, boundaries and, and different things like not throwing your pearls before swine. You know, the gospel also gives examples. You know, if anyone um, not welcome you or listen to you, leave that home, you know, or town and shake the dust, the, the dust off your feet, you know, is something that the, the gospels um, Jesus talked about, you know, to the disciples. You have Matthew 18 principle where, you know, you have done your due diligence to seek reconciliation and make things right, you know, with another brother or sister, um, you know, but they won't receive you, you know, um, and, and the process of that, of going one-on-one, you know, going with somebody else and taking it before the church, you know, the Bible talks about excommunication guys, you know, and these are just a few examples. Um, and there may be moments in your life when you come across unsafe people or when a person who used to feel or appear safe in your life becomes unsafe and is actively hurting, you know, harassing, threatening, um, threatening you and not listening or respecting your boundaries. And <clears throat> they are so deceived that they see nothing wrong with their behavior and refuse to seek help. Where someone has refused to walk in respect, truth, and trust as a powerful person, you say no so that you can protect the yes that you give to others who do choose to flow in respect, truth, and trust. And next, uh, next section of the podcast or next, um, next part, part three, we're going to talk about some warning signs to recognize if it is time to give a powerful no to an unhealthy relationship. So we've talked a lot about various barriers and these different categories. And I know this talk wasn't super warm and fuzzy, um, but some serious talks are, are important. Um, and I'll end with a few personal stories, again, in the spirit of vulnerability and uh, connection. There have been moments in my life when um, <clears throat> experiences have taught me um, that I was too much or too strange or different and I didn't belong in a community, um, other experiences of being shut down or told I was too young, um, or even <clears throat> expressing my needs and seeing them not meant, or again, being shut down. And these different experiences created beliefs about myself and others, um, and even God that were not based on God's truth, but were placed, were based off of woundings. Um, <clears throat> and there were seasons in my life when I believed that I was not meant for community. And I grew to see people in that season in a negative light um, that they would just want to take from me versus bless me or pour into my life. And I even became suspicious of people's kindness at times. Um, And I've already shared with you guys a little bit of my experience when I lost my dad and I believe that God was not for me, but against me. And the anger that uh, produced a barrier for that season in my life where I felt I couldn't fully connect with God, you know, let alone see him as a good or loving God. And then I had, you know, barriers also because of lack of assigned value, you know, Um, 
<clears throat> many of you might know, um, I am hardwired for productivity. Um, and so although my soul and spirit are wired for connection, my personality is wired for working hard. And at times that would try to silence my needs of connection. And so I remember moments in college when I would busy myself so much with additional schoolwork above and beyond, you know, the studying I really needed to do. Um, <clears throat> partly again, just because being hardwired for hard work, uh, but also partly because I was afraid of failing. And at times I trusted more the mechanisms of structure that I placed than the ability God put within me to retain information or even trusting Holy Spirit's guidance that I had studied enough. Um, and I prioritized and valued more time in front of a computer working than relationships. And also there's, there was an element of fear of connection because honestly, guys, you know, work and homework produce safe, safe, expected results. You know, you worked hard, you got good grades. Like that was pretty simple. Um, relationships, not so much, you know, relationships were hard and messy and sometimes it just felt easier and safer not to engage. And I think many of you guys know what I'm talking about, but, um, <clears throat> so different barriers produced because of that. Um, and I've also experienced moments in my life where I have needed to exercise wisdom and boundaries to protect myself and my family from unsafe people. There've been relationships where people chose to make themselves unsafe for a season. And I drew up necessary boundaries, you know, letting them know, Hey, I love you. But when you're ready to engage in a respectful uh, manner um, <clears throat> and walking out change, you know, let me know. And those relationships eventually turned into really beautiful ones and connection was able to flow. And there are other relationships that I've, I've experienced where the other person chose to um, remain unsafe and not re-engage in a respectful manner or seek change. And those boundaries are still in place, you know, and now does that mean I don't uh, love them or that I hate them and I don't pray for them? You know, absolutely not. Now the word talks about forgiving, you know, forgiveness and praying for our enemies, you know, and, and I do pray and, and ask God that they would seek help and truly live out the fullness of what God has for them. But I also recognize that being a powerful person is not controlling others, but controlling myself and that I can choose to control my interactions with others. You know, a few other examples, um, you know, I will choose, you know, sometimes not to engage people when I feel angry and I know I need to cool down. Um, that's wisdom guys. You know, we can control ourselves and when we feel out of control, it's probably best not to engage somebody at that time. Um, you know, and, and there's moments, you know, where, you know, my husband and I, we have this phrase that we use <clears throat> when we're sometimes blinded by our own emotions. And so if we see the other in this heated spirit, so to speak, you know, we'll say tap out. That's our phrase. Um, and, and so we say this, letting the other person know, Hey, you are currently doing a poor job of controlling yourself and you need to tap out basically a nice way of saying that. Um, because this is not a boxing or wrestling match and you can re-engage when you're ready to speak truth and love in a calm manner. And, you know, we've, we've said things to each other like, Hey, I'm going to walk away right now. 
And when you're ready to speak to me respectfully, you can find me, you know, in the living room or in the other room. Um, and we say this because we value connection. We value one another. We value respect. And beyond that, <clears throat> we try to be quick to repent. Not always, but we're working on it. We try because we recognize that humility is what allows us to be vulnerable and walk rightly before one another and God. Uh, but now I'm getting ahead of myself, giving practical steps uh, that we'll talk about in part three. So here's a little taste of that. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Again, sorry it took me so long. I hope it was worth the wait. And tune in for the third and final part of this connection series where we'll talk about um, ways to overcome barriers, uh, what to do with the processing you've done before the Lord and community um, and the different barriers that God you know, may have highlighted as you listen to this um, and practical ways to connect with others in meaningful ways that produce uh, long lasting impact. Again, thank you guys. Love you guys. And I pray you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy good food and good connection.